Hello, football thinking fans. Welcome to the Total Football Analysis Champions League and Europa League podcast. Today, we have joined forces across our Serie A, EPL, and La Liga teams to bring you a special podcast edition of this unusual final stage of the European competitions. My name is Daniel Leproc, and let me introduce you to our team members, beginning with professional player and La Liga podcast host, Alex Comzia. Hello, Alex. How are you doing, Daniele? What a collab here. What an all-star team. And welcome to EPL podcast host, Chris Manford. Hey, Chris. How are you? Pretty good. To better understand the tactical side of these games, we have the pleasure to be joined by football analyst Steve Coleman. Hello, Steve. Good morning, Daniele. How are you? Pretty good. And also football analyst Scott Martin. Hello, Scott. Hey, Daniele. How's it going? Pretty good. Listen, guys, we have three Italian teams, three Spanish teams, and two English teams still in Champions League. Uh, the second legs of uh, round of 16 will be played uh, Friday, August 7th, and uh, Saturday, August 8th. Let's begin with uh, a big match between uh, Man City and Real Madrid. They're starting on a 2-1 to aggregate for the citizens. But, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Real Madrid won't be able to count on their captain, center back, and goal scorer, Sergio Ramos. Is that right? Unfortunately, that is correct. So, Sergio Ramos picked up the red card in the previous match, so he will have to watch from the stands. So, big task for Ider Melitao. He's got to join uh, Rafael Varane in the starting lineup. And uh, it's definitely a big task for him. He'll uh, likely play on that right-hand side. So he'll have to provide cover for Carvajal as he tries to defend against Sterling. Um, but yeah, all to do for Real Madrid. Down 2-1. Uh, they had that disastrous last 15 minutes in the first leg at home. So now they've got to go to Manchester. So they've got to take on the citizens there. Uh, fortunately for Madrid, no fans in the stands. So you know they at least won't have uh, the fans building city um, or building behind them to, to support them. But definitely all to do. So, uh, you know, with City, I don't think we're going to see too much of a departure from their their club philosophy. I think Pep will be very aggressive. He will want to put this one to bed early. Um, so he's he's got to be careful, though. So this is a Real Madrid side that is very effective when they can counterattack. Uh, e- even when they, they've lost the ball, they have a very strong rest defense. So if City does try to, to progress too quickly, maybe doesn't prioritize their rest defense as they look to progress into the attacking half of the pitch that could come back to haunt them. So fortunately for Real Madrid, Eden Hazard should be back in the lineup. It's looking like that top three should be Hazard, Benzema, and Asensio on the right. So uh, they're at least much healthier than they were in that first leg. So, um, you know, overall, I think they've, they've got a mountain to climb in this one, but they've at least got you know, for the most part, the right players on the pitch. You know, Sergio Ramos' uh, absence, that's a big one. But otherwise, I think the squad is ready, especially given the way they finished up the uh, the season. Yeah, it's certainly a different Real Madrid than the one that played the first leg back in February. Do you expect uh, Man City to approach the game differently from a tactical standpoint, knowing that um, you know, like you said, uh, Hazard is back and the Real Madrid uh, really seems to have um, to have found their chemistry up top. So I think Walker will be a little more conservative on that right-hand side. 
he'll linger behind to make sure that there is no easy entry to Hazard. But this is Pep Guardiola's team. So in the past, you look at all of his Bayern Munich teams, Barcelona sides, they want to demoralize the opponent. They want to make sure that Real Madrid doesn't have a chance to get on the ball, doesn't have a chance to, to put a goal behind them and, and build some momentum. So they want to take the, the air out of this game uh, with lots of possession, with uh, you know, using their individual qualities higher up the pitch, especially with you know, likely Marez on the, the right and then Sterling on the left. So you know, I do think you're going to see um, a very proactive approach from Guardiola's side. I, I, I just can't see them changing the approach, changing the philosophy for one matchup, even if it is against Real Madrid. Yeah, I'd say my take on it is that Man City is going to absolutely smother uh, the the offensive half or the defensive half of Real Madrid. Uh, you take Sergio Ramos, the Darth Vader of professional football, <laughs> whose whose distribution capability is out of this world, and you go with with the high jam uh, that that Man City does. Uh, I think Man City is just going to ro- roll over Real Madrid here. Uh, I just, I see the outside, I see the outside attacks. I just, I'm going to, it's going to be revert, revert to long ball in my opinion. Real Madrid, they're going to try to take it out of the back, and there's no way they're going to have to go long. Courtois is having the best season he's ever had. Ederson's having a decent season, but you know what I love about Ederson is. He's going to keep you, your back line honest because he can put it on a person's chest from 70 yards out. And I just – I really feel like, yeah, there's some defensive liabilities with respect to Man City. That's well documented. But I just don't know if Real Madrid's going to be able to get the ball up there enough times. And, Scott, you laid it out beautifully. They may get two or three shot, two or three opportunities. And whether they're real or half chances on a potential fast break, that's all they're going to see. Otherwise, they're going to be packed in their in their um, their back half, and maybe that's what Real Madrid's going to be satisfied with, right? But I just I I feel like you take out Ramos, and all bets are off at this point. Well, I mean, you could also say that that could benefit Real Madrid. So with with all the space behind that City back line, uh, you know, especially once Vinicius Junior gets into the match, using his electric pace to get behind that defense, that could work out to Real Madrid's favor. And then the other thing to consider is Militao is actually probably a better defender in the low block than Ramos. Mm-hmm. So he's got a better heading percentage. He, he wins far more of his aerial duels than Ramos. Um, the guy's 6'4", just great length to block shots. So if they are going to defend in the low block, that's realistically not the worst option to have out there. I yeah. completely agree with that. I think the way to go here is the low block because of what you just said about Militao. But also, I think the game is won here for Madrid if they have an absolute amazing performance from their midfield, and Casemiro in particular. He's number one in La Liga in interceptions and against a Man City team that is so good in possession. If you have that low block and then you have Casemiro breaking it up in the middle where you know you don't have to necessarily leave Militao exposed because he doesn't have that stepping ability that Ramos has, then they can counter with whoever they play, if it's Hazard or, or Vinicius. 
and then Benzema, who's in who's in top form right now. But make no mistake, in in my opinion, this is still Man City's win. I'm not saying for sure, but I think Madrid's throwing everything at this. You know, you hear that Ramos is actually traveling out with the team for for moral support. Like they are throwing everything at this. You cannot count out Madrid. This is their this is their cup. This is their this is their league. You know, the Champions League. Yeah, not this year. It's not. I think it's. <laughs> um, I think it's. I think it's. Uh... A little bit worrying for for Madrid and and Zidane that uh, Pep has had so long to prepare for this game. So normally in a normal season they would have obviously a Saturday game. He'd have one eye on the Wednesday night preparing for it, but he'd have little time to prepare, perhaps on the on the training pitch for for what he's about to see. But they've had nearly two and a half, three weeks now to prepare for this game. Um, and uh, as we know about Pep, he will have made sure he hasn't left any stone unturned. I think the biggest the biggest things that you can look for here are the way he uses his, his two deep line midfielders, if he uses one or whether he uses two in a in a double pivot and how he uses his fullbacks to deal with the build up phase and also how he deals with the, the counter and the rest defence like Scott talked about earlier, whether he's gonna use Walker as more of a third centre back as opposed to a right back in the in the transitional phase there. And, and whether he's going he's gonna to use um, Gundogan or, or Rodri to drop into the line to make three. And then that allow, enables him to get Sterling um, inside, for example, where he does his, some of his best work so far this season. And I think he'll, he'll certainly have a plan. And I think they'll have too much for Real Madrid in this one. Real Madrid have got to come and chase the game a little bit. And I, and I think Man City will not only pass them off the pitch, but, but also create too much for them in the, in the final third. It's time for... Pep Guardiola to think about this. I mean, he has had issues with yeah. his players in the past with his tinkering. So does he overdo it? I mean, I think that's another real concern for Manchester City. And Zidane's, I, I think his side's going to be very calm, very relaxed, and they'll yeah. look for their opportunities. I just think they have nothing to lose at this point. And, and I still, again, say that this is a big advantage for City. But when you have nothing to lose, your coach is Zidane, you just won La Liga. And it, the adversity is there. You don't have Ramos. Like it's all against them. And and as a player, that's kind of appealing. You know, we gotta overcome this this massive mountain. And <laughs> you never know. One goal early could could change the whole thing. We can't just assume that. Oh, to be fair, Man City have not got it done in the Champions League in the past years. And and you know, Guardiola is gonna have them absolutely flying. But this could change on a dime. And my question, Scott, just to round this out, is. Who do you think plays with Casemiro and Kroos in the middle? I do think it's Modric. Uh, he was very lively after the restart. Uh, he's also better in progression, and I do think they'll need that quality uh, from that right-sided midfielder. So typically, when Valverde plays, he's you know he'll help out defensively, but the the initiative is to get him a little bit higher up the pitch where they can utilize his athleticism. Um, but I think with, if they do go with Hazard and Asensio on the wings, they want to get those two guys isolated. So you don't necessarily need Valverde up there playing with them. Um, but you do need someone who can get the ball to them uh, in the right spots at the right time. And Modric is that guy. So here's my take. 3-1 Man City. It's going to be a, a tidal wave of Carolina. I mean, light blue. Um, <laughs> I mean, has, have you guys not been watching Man City in the last three or four weeks? They they look like they're they are just full of piss and vinegar, 
And I, I got I get the sense that Real Madrid has been a, a bit on cruise control in the last couple of weeks. And Real Madrid's got to show up to a stadium that is it doesn't have fans, but it's not it doesn't feel like home. And for Man City, this is just another day in the office. So my prediction is three one Man City. Chris, based on uh, the history of Man City in Champions League, I fancy the chances for Real Madrid. If you guys remember the defensive disasters from last year um, by Man City against Tottenham, I'm afraid that's going to um, represent itself. So I'm going to go with a 1-2. Um, so a win by Real Madrid and hopefully this drags the game to extra time and even more, even more show. What do you guys think about it? <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> I'm going to say it's time. I don't care. <laughs> there is another um, matchup. It's actually it's a crossover between Serie A and, uh, and La Liga. It's the second leg between Barca and uh, Napoli. The first leg finished 1-1 to at San Paolo with goals by Dries Mertens and Antoine Griezmann. Um, Alex, I know you have something to say about, uh, about Messi and, and Barcelona. How much pressure does Barca have on uh, on their back knowing that they, they just lost the league? It's, it's, a, it's a lot of pressure, of course, but it's as a club, as a team, we've all been, you know, seeing, seeing the news coming out of, of Barcelona. You know, they, they're in a chaotic spot right now. And this is, they're arguably like have the most transfer rumors around them in Europe. There's rumors that like they have to sell off six to seven guys to make some room for Lataro from Inter. Those rumors that they want Neymar back. How is that going to happen? Umtiti, Griezmann, Dembele, Araujo are all injured. That means you only have um, Piquet and Langley as center backs. And if one of them goes down, you're playing one of the academy players. Artur has refused to play, um, which is interesting. Yeah, Fierdepo's on the transfer list. Vidal and Busquets. And Busquets in particular is huge here. But Vidal potentially, too, against Napoli are out for suspension. Um, so if I'm Napoli, I'm licking my lips because this Barca team is is vulnerable. But, you know, Messi's came out at the end of La Liga and said, and really, you know, sh shots were fired at the rest of the team. So I'm wondering how they're going to respond, you know, to this Napoli squad. There's rumors that Insigne is injured. I'm is that is that true, Steve? Uh, if that if that's the case, that could be massive for for Barcelona because I think if he plays, he's gonna have a field day with Semedo. I think he's gonna turn him inside and out and have one of those curlers. <laughs> first leg was yeah, I thought first, yeah. leg, first leg Napoli was was very good and I think they should have won the match. Griezmann got a, a decent goal, you know. But I think tactically Napoli line up well against Barcelona. It depends if there's that three back, you know, how Semedo and Alba are going to pin back the wide players. I would personally play Ansu Fati in this game because he will play as a wide winger and force Napoli to kind of be a little more pinned back instead of playing two strikers up top and they're more central, which plays, into my opinion, the favor of a Napoli side that has three center backs. But, um, but yeah, it's... I'm licking my lips if I was Napoli right now, but you can never count out a, a team that has Lionel Messi as, as much of a cliche. Alex, is that, is that because we should expect to see Messi just underneath Suarez and Griezmann? No, Griez, I mean, Griezmann is rumors that he's, he's not 100%. So if he is in the squad, he could potentially play. But 
if it's me, I'm playing Fatih. I'm playing Fatih because it's dragging him out wide. I'm not sure, Steve, I'm sure who, who's playing in the, you know, what's the projected lineup? Is there going to be a three in the back and with the two wing backs? That might, you know, pin back the wing back so they can't really have success out wide. And Napoli has a lot of success out wide. I'm not sure. No, I think, I think Gattuso will play with four, uh, as he has done for, for most of the season. Uh, I think you'll, you'll see a, a similar set up defensively to the way uh, they defended recently with the wide players tracking the fullbacks like they did against Milan, for example. Um, you know, we spoke quite quite um, at length on the on the Serie A podcast about uh, a goal they conceded where the wide players didn't either stop the cross or, or track Hernandez in at the back post, if you remember. Yeah. And I think you'll find something similar to, to that in this game. Uh, I don't think the Tuso will go too far away from, from what's been successful for them and, and that's mainly to do with what like you said about the wide areas and, and the domination that they will try and get in the in the wide areas the higher up the pitch they can get maybe Di Lorenzo and, and um, Mario Rui there that enables them to get Insigne inside and, and whoever plays on the opposite side to, to him inside and, and be more creative uh, and I think they can cause Barcelona some real problems like you say that Barcelona have got some real issues um, availability wise and I think they've I think the game for Napoli here is a free hit. You know, they've never made it further than this in the Champions League. They're up against Barcelona. Perhaps people don't expect them to win. And it's a free hit for them. And, and Gattuso will, will relish being the underdog in this one for sure. Yeah, Stephen, I expect Napoli to go to the Camp Nou and try to uh, propose football, try to keep the ball. I don't see them sitting low. That's just not in the nature of Napoli. How many times have we uh, mentioned yeah. that Napoli have the highest ball possession uh, percentage in, yeah. in Serie A so I think they're going to go there and uh, and try to do their own game and not trying to change their identity just because they're facing Barcelona would you agree with that? Yeah 100% I think we've spoken before about they're one of the few teams in Serie A who have a way and stick with it now there's obviously parameters within within that philosophy that, that he'll change given the, the opposition but the, the reality is they're going to try and manage the ball and keep the ball as, as well as they normally do. They've got two of the best um, passes in, the, in Serie A in their side. Um, one of them is obviously the left back, as we've spoken about, and, and, and the other, Rui in midfield, is, is the other. And they can, they can dominate the game here, especially, um, especially when they can pin Barcelona back. Because um, Barcelona will have to defend at times um, and expect them, I think, to play a little bit more on the counter uh, at times, Barcelona trying to find Messi in those transitional moments will, will be a danger. But I think Koulibaly is is so crucial for, for Napoli in that moment where he can where he can manage those kind of broken play moments and and, uh, and allow Napoli to get hard up the pitch. My concern is that if Napoli does want to take the initiative in the attack, that it's going to open up a lot of space. And granted, they do have Koulibaly, but that's where Barcelona really has the most success. And especially if Griezmann's in the lineup and he can sit in the space between the, the two uh, the last two lines, that's where Barcelona is really dangerous. Um, I like the approach that Napoli had in the first leg. They didn't give Barcelona much of anything. Um, you know, Barcelona just they had no answer. They they just shifted the ball from side to side, and we've seen not only in that match but every La Liga match where they've had to go up against an opponent that sits in a, uh, the two banks of four, those deep blocks. They can't break them down. So you know, Suarez could maybe get on the end of a header. I think. Um, I'd like to see Vidal play for for Barcelona. I think with him switching off with Messi, 
as they get into the, the attacking third, that does present an option in the box. But yeah, I mean, if I'm Napoli, like, I've, I've got to feel pretty good knowing that Barcelona can't break down the low block. I see your point, yeah, Scott, uh, but yeah. keep in mind that Napoli have to score at least one goal to qualify. So, um, because a 0 0 draw will qualify uh, Barcelona. So, maybe, yes, they're not going to start, you know, completely all out attack. But um, I do think that the identity that Gattuso was able to give Napoli, we're going to see that even at the Camp Nou. Also, because honestly, this, this Barcelona team is not as intimidating as it used to be. So, um, Steve mentioned how great passers. Napoli has Fabian Ruiz in the midfield. By the way, a guy who knows very well how to play against uh, against Barcelona, given his his past in La Liga. Um, so I think that's gonna that's gonna be key for for Napoli, trying to uh, keep their identity and, and make the game. To answer your question, Alex, Insigne is doubtful, but uh, he's projected to start. If he doesn't, probably what's gonna happen is uh, Matteo Politano will play. Uh, as a winger in the top three, along with uh, Callejon and uh, and Mertens, would you agree, Steve? Yeah, probably. Uh, I'd say what Gattuso has done fantastically well is in, in the restart is rotate his players through through games every week. There's two or three changes where he's managing the workload of his of his players because he asks so much of them, and I, and I think he's done brilliantly in that regard. And that's going to stand him in good stead for this game um, in terms of the freshness that he has available to him. Um, I think I think you'll find that they'll they'll counter press very quickly when they give the ball away. To Scott's point about Barcelona being dangerous on the counter, there's an argument to suggest that they're probably the best counter pressing side in in Serie A. Them and Atalanta probably are, are right up there. And when they don't, when they're not able to do that, and they and they get broken through, uh, they'll drop into that four one four one block. And I think they'll be really difficult to break down in the Camp Nou. And you know the threat is obviously Messi. Um, and if they can limit the space between lines, which which Gattuso's done so well in his both his playing career and and now his time with Napoli I think I think they'll they'll come away with a result here to be honest with you I'm gonna be audacious enough to say that this will not be a 0-0 scoreline with these mm. two teams and I hope yeah, I'm right uh, I say 2-1 Barca I'll second that 2-1 Barca uh Messi has 15 minutes of brilliance and makes the difference <laughs> like always um <laughs> or not or not or another not. Italian team that is going to be uh, is going to have a lot of pressure is is, uh, is Juventus, right? Juventus are going to host uh, Lyon at home. They're starting on a one to zero aggregate for the for the French side. There's a couple of news in the Juventus starting lineup. First off, Miralem Pjanic, unlike Arthur Melo, has not refused to play. So right now he's uh, he's set to start in the middle of uh, Juventus's three midfielders and. Uh, Dybala, Paulo Dybala is still questionable with a thigh injury and we should see Higuain start on top with uh, Bernardeschi and Ronaldo. Steve Dybala, MVP of uh, the Serie A season. He was just announced today. Him not starting, what does that mean for Juventus? Does it also say in your, in your stats there that Ronaldo is back from the beach or, or is it... Um... <laughs> he's back from, uh, from his vacation with, uh, with wife and kids. <laughs> yeah, he's off the boat and onto the training pitch again. Brilliant, good to know. Um, yeah, I think I think Dybala has obviously been so crucial for for Juventus this season that you know whether whether Sarri decides to to stick with the four three three or flip back into a diamond um, and play him as the uh, the point of that diamond at number ten, I, I think is is the key here. 
they've obviously got some pressure because they have to they have to force a result being behind. Um, they haven't been great in Serie A as we as we've discussed. You know, I'm I'm quite vocal about them them being a pretty pretty uninspiring champion so far this season. Um, and they've got they've got some real work to do here. Um, Bernadeschi gives them something different down down that right hand side. He perhaps. Uh, like we've spoken about, they they certainly sacrifice one of their forwards to accommodate the other two uh, at times, and their lack of defensive work. Bernadeschi's got the ability to to defend well and and get out of the pitch um, a little bit better than perhaps Douglas Costa's managed to do. So I think you'll find Bernadeschi starts the game. But yeah, I think they've been they've been flat and and disappointing. But hopefully, with all eyes on this game, they'll they'll be able to turn a corner and and perhaps prove prove me wrong that they they are. Uh, a champion, a champion side. I agree. And uh, Scott, you were talking off the air how Lyon is a team that tends to press high. But given the one-zero lead, do you see them changing their approach? Are you going to stadium and be more conservative? I think that would be to their benefit. Um, I mean, you obviously never want to give Juventus too much space between the lines. Uh, and when Lyon does press high up the pitch, they do tend to become stretched vertically. So that is a major concern. Uh, you know, if Dybala doesn't start, that certainly works to Leon's benefit. So I think he would absolutely star if he was in that role uh, between the lines in this matchup. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a side, if they're up for it, just like they showed in the, the first leg, they can play to Juve's standard. Um, but you do wonder as the clock is winding down, you know, are they going to make those mistakes uh, that we saw a lot of during the, the previous season as they're trying to build out of the back. Uh, they do like to play a little bit more expansive when they attack. So, you know, is it a matter of do they stick to their philosophy or do they totally adapt to the scoreline and, and this matchup? Um, yeah, I'm not entirely sure which route they're going to go. I, I thought they'd be more conservative in the first leg and they went all out in the attack uh, and pressed very high up the pitch. So... You know, we'll see. We'll see if they adapt. Uh, if they do sit back a little bit deeper, try to deny space, that is contrary to their philosophy. So, you know, maybe that's not uh, not the best way to produce a fluid performance. Memphis Depay back from injury. He wasn't able to feature in the first leg. Uh, can Leon use his speed, his athleticism, maybe to counterattack Juventus? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so if he is fit and healthy, um, he is their clear number one threat. Uh, and I think as they look to break out, they will look to target him uh, to really advance the ball on the dribble. So, um, you know, it's, Juventus obviously, you know, they've, they've got a deficit to make up, but um, I think they have enough talent and experience in their side to, to pull off the win here. I wouldn't be surprised if they win by two or three goals. Any of us see Leon going through here? You know, historically, if you're just looking at the stats, they are pretty bad when they go play in Italy, in the in Europe. And Juventus, I think, are pretty good when they're down the first leg to come back in the second leg. I think they did it last year with Ronaldo against Atletico Madrid, that famous win. They were all him. Don't mess with Cristiano, right? They've won. They've won thirteen of the last fifteen, uh, last sixteen ties. Uh, so they're they're pretty good at this stage of the competition. Right. Uh, to be honest, I'd yeah. W w if Leon had been playing right up until um, the the cutoff point of Serie A, you know, the final games last week, then I'd suggest it would be a bit closer. But 
it's really just so hard to tell when they haven't played for so long, Leon. Obviously, they'll be do it. They will have been training all the way through in preparation for this one game. But you know, it's it's a difficult one to come and come and win in in Turin where you you haven't done a hell of a lot in in the in the foreseeable past. Um, so as much as it pains me, I'm probably going to say Juventus win this one. Um, <laughs> But but they win it because they they just have better players, not potentially because they're they're doing better. But the Ronaldo factor is gonna gonna be a, a massive a massive thing, like it is for Barcelona with Messi. And we might we might find one or two of their other champions um, put, pull a uh, performance out of the bag and 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 nick a result. But I don't think it will be a game that they run away with. Right, and like you said, Steve you can't really measure these these French teams because the league has not been happening. The only match that Lyon's played was against PSG in a 0-0 tie in the Coupe de la Ligue, and they they lost on PKs. But there's still not much you can you can really take away and learn from that, in my opinion. This is a whole different animal, the Champions League. You know, I, I find it... I, I call this a box of chocolates game. You just don't know what you're going to get until you bite into it. Um, <laughs> You don't because uh, Leon has not played forever, right? Uh, you know, I'm, I imagine they're kicking the ball around a bit. And Juventus, for the most part, basically took the last week of the season off, right? So I just don't know what we're going to get out of this. Um, I do think it's highly entertaining. 538 does say that they're predicting that Leon's got a 64% chance of winning this. So two really? So, and they just FYI, they thought Man City has a 90% chance uh, and Barca's got an 81%. So they're used to giving props to former, uh, you know, to, to heavyweights. But in this one, they're giving Leon the edge on it. And I, I'm looking forward to, to pop and open, open up that box and get a taste and enjoy the match. Chris, what I see is after the 70th minute, I see Leon players starting to cramp up starting to not track back Juventus's runners. And uh, that's going to make a difference because Juventus just have the 90 minutes in their legs, having played until last week. So I think that's, that's going to make a difference at the end. So uh, don't be surprised if you see late goals by Juventus. That's my suggestion. I'm, I'm disagreeing. I'm saying Leon's parking the bus by then. Yeah, Seven, I agree with you, Alex. I don't think there's any way they need to track back because they're going to all be already all the way back. And, and if I'm Leon right now, you got a chance to go through. And, you know, 1-0 up against Juve is not bad. I would take that every time. But there's no chance I see them going on these crazy, you know, attacks and leaving themselves exposed for a counter. There's no way. I think they're going to absolutely park the bus, maybe even six guys in, in a back line. Like, it could be and, it could be really... And you're going you're to have struggle to break teams down. Yeah. Sorry? Assuming the scoreline's in their favor. True, yeah, assuming exactly. that the line's in their favor. But, you know, you have at times also seen Juve struggle to score and it takes them, like, until the last, you know, late in the second half and they get frustrated, right? Yeah, and that's why I was just going to say. They, they have struggled to break teams down uh, over the last kind of three or four weeks. Their lack of, their lack of runners in behind is a, is a real issue for them. You know, you've got Higuain, who's is a really good kind of focal point at the top when he plays, but Dybala's constantly... Kind of off the front, dribbling, dribbling at defenders, and when teams drop off and, and leave the space in front rather than behind, then it's it's difficult for them to break teams down. You know, and if I won't ever mention penalties in Chris's presence again, but they they do they do uh, do pretty well from penalties over the last kind of three or four 
games where you know Ronaldo saved them against Atalanta with two penalties, for example. But um, they they have struggled over the last little while breaking teams down, um, and I think that could be a real issue here. I was going to say, uh, Serie A players have really learned how to hit the ball on the <laughs> defender's arms. So watch, uh, watch Dybala or, or Ronaldo hit across VAR, late PKs, and Juventus go through. Yeah. yeah, I'm just going to back Steve's earlier comment. You know, I think, I think Juventus is going to struggle because Ronaldo is still trying to get over his sunburn and trying to get the sand out of his shorts. So uh, we'll, see, we'll see what happens uh, in this game here. There's no sand on a luxury yacht in the middle of the Mediterranean. Uh, he burns. <laughs> the other game that will be played Saturday is uh, Bayern Munich against Chelsea. It starts on a 3-0 aggregate for the uh, Bundesliga champions. There's not much to say about this game. It seems like it's already been decided. Chelsea are also torn apart by injuries and suspensions. They will not be able to count on Alonso, Jorginho, Loftus-Cheek, Pulisic, and Aspilicueta. Guys, do you have anything to add about this game, or is it going to be just a walkthrough for a yeah, formality? This no, is a buy, and, buy and win. Move on. Wow. Bold. That's Done and dusted. Done and dusted. Done and dusted. Then we're going to move up um, to the Europa League. We're going to have to have games on Wednesday, August 5th, and uh, Thursday, August 6th. Uh, Copenhagen will play against Istanbul. Buyukeshir, I hope I pronounced that correctly. They're starting on a 1-0 aggregate for the Turkish team. Uh, we're also going to have Shakhtar Donetsk against Wolfsburg. It's starting on a 2-1 aggregate for the Ukrainian side. We're going to have uh, Inter play Getafe. That's going to be a single leg game. And then uh, Menu will play uh, Lask starting on a 5-0 aggregate. On Thursday, uh, Bayern Leverkusen will play Rangers starting on a 3-1 aggregate for the German team. We're going to have Sevilla and Roma. That's the other single leg matchup. And uh, we're going to have Basel play Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, it's starting on a 3-0 aggregate for the Swiss side. So it should be a comfortable, um, <coughs> comfortable uh, match for Basel. And then Wolverhampton are going to host Olympiacos. The, they're starting on a one-to-one aggregate on what was the only tie across all first leg matches. But since we have uh, uh, the Serie A team and uh, uh, the La Liga team, let's focus on the two matchup, the crossover. I'm talking about Inter against Getafe and Sevilla against Roma. Um, what, do you, what do you guys have about, uh, about Sevilla, guys? Sevilla is, has been doing very well. You know, they came in fourth in La Liga and arguably, I mean, not arguably, they could have definitely come in third. They almost beat out Atletico Madrid for that spot. Um, and let's not forget, they have been the Europa Kings. Um, within, I think they won three years in a row, if I'm not mistaken, from 2013 to 16. You know, they're coming in with a ton of momentum. Uh, Lopetegui has guided the club again to, to this fourth place, and they've secured Champions League. They're incredible uh, out wide. Jesus Navas ranks first in, in crosses. Banega has been exceptional. He's second in average passes to the final third per 90. Defensively, just a solid team. I think they're third um, in goals conceded in La Liga. But at the same time, I, and I'm sure you guys will argue for Roma. Roma have been in good form too, right, in these last few 
few games, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't they beat Juve at the end? Although that doesn't really count. Juve was already was already champions. But I expect it to be a pretty good game. Yeah, they were. They beat they beat Juve last time out. Um, they've actually done pretty well since the restart. They played twelve, won eight, drawn one, and lost three. Twenty five points since the restart. So they've they've been a they've been a pretty a pretty good team to watch. They've gone under the radar a little bit. Um, among others in the, in that kind of um, chasing pack for Juventus, but I think they've got a manager in Fonseca who's very tactically astute. He manages his group really well. He he's able to flick between a back three and a back four depending on on the opposition um, without losing too much of the way he wants his team to play. Um, I think he he certainly has games where he's where he's more um, counter attack based when when needed, and they, and they did that well against Juventus, but. He's also in in a position where he can he can set his team up to to dominate the ball in in games as well. So I think they're they're a young side with with a lot of potential, and whether they've got enough to to get over a, a season severe side is is debatable. But I, I think they they have a good chance in a, in a one off game here. Steve, you are, you're Paulo Fonseca. Do you opt for a three in the back or four in the back against Sevilla? Well, that, I mean that's a good question. I, I think I think to be honest, he probably stays with with a three. Um, purely because I, do, I don't think he believes he has enough quality with two centre backs to, to survive against uh, against better teams. You know, I mentioned the other day. Um, you know, Smalling, Smalling isn't isn't the long term future of, of the back three. I don't think it in this side. And, and Fazio has his moments as well. So I think they need an extra one in there to help them. And it also helps them progress the ball as well against high pressing teams like like Sevilla um, will be as well. So. Um, expecting to play with three, um, and then the makeup of the of the midfield from there, whether he plays with with more of a, a front two or maybe a, a one at the top and two number tens. I think that's the that's going to be the interesting part of, of the. Yeah, right now, it should be two number tens with Zaniolo and Mkhitaryan underneath yeah. uh, underneath Jacko. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think the Jacko factor is is really important for them as well. You know, kind of we've spoken before about him being a, a very much a fixed target. For them to hit on the counter attack and how important he is in that counter attacking moment to bring other players into into space and and running into in, into open space. So, yeah, he'll be he'll be a danger. And then the, Zaniolo coming back in, I think he's been excellent since his return from his knee injury and and his his combination with with Mkhitaryan is is a real danger for for Sevilla. Yeah, looking at the Sevilla side, they do like to control the wings. That's typically where you'll see the progression through Navas and Regulon on the left-hand side. Um, and this is a very cross-heavy team as well. So I think the three in the back does serve Roma well. Uh, they will have to prepare to defend against Sevilla's barrage of crosses. Um, so but yeah, if you can have that, that wing back, tracking back, uh, giving a little bit of safety to that back three, I think that does benefit uh, Roma. The one thing I will say for Sevilla is not only do they have a lot of quality in their side, but when you look at their matchups over the course of the season, they adapt brilliantly to the opponent. So if they're playing Barcelona or Real Madrid, their ability to sit back, absorb pressure, and then counterattack is fantastic. And then on the flip side, when they're playing a comparable to a uh, to lower-level team, um, they, they just dominate the opponents with their expansive attack and you know, a really strong rest defense. So they are very difficult to break down. Um, a lot of progression through the wings. At times, they can get stuck, especially if they are having issues uh, finding Luke de Jong in the box. But um, this is a side that 
could pose a problem to, to Fonseca and his Roma side, uh, just in their ability to adapt to the game. Uh, they, they can do it on the fly just brilliantly. I think, I think if it is a back three for Roma, I distinctly remember Sevilla when they played Barca. One of their tactics was to always have a guy out wide. As soon as they'd won it, they'd almost hit these blind but well-driven longer balls across the field. And then that's where you get, you know, at times Barca is a back three because the defensive mid drops in and then their center backs are, are there. And then one of the center backs has to get dragged out wide into an un- uncomfortable position against a guy like Munir. You know, and then all of a sudden you're off to the races. But I think that's something that Roma has to be very, very careful about. And that I think you should see you know, a bunch of that. Unless Sevilla think that they can outpossess them. But if Roma are controlling the possession, which again, I'm not sure about that, I think you will see these quick counterattacking balls where whoever's in the midfield, as soon as they win it, they just play it to the other side and they all go up very quickly play it out wide, and then, like you said, Scott, those crosses will come in pretty fast. And they're very effective at it. About those quick forward passes, Alex, I look forward to seeing um, Suso, by the way, former Serie A player, on that right side matching up against Kolarov, because right now the, the possible lineups, um, they're saying that Kolarov should start in the back line of three, and we know how much Kolarov likes to go forward. So if th- those passes happen quickly... I can see Sevilla finding a lot of space on the right flank. Yeah, it's it's interesting with Colorado because he's so good going forward. I'm not sure. Would you guys play him in in this game in, in the back three on, on the left against a guy like Suso? Because you know, he could definitely they could definitely expose him. No, I think he probably he probably slots into a back four at left back, but um, I don't I don't see him playing left hand side of a back three. Probably as a wing back, maybe I don't know what Daniel is looking formation wise at there, but I think he probably slides in as a as a left back or a or a wing back rather than a centre back. The left wing. I think the key here would be a left wing back because if he's mm-hmm. a left wing back, he can absolutely track back and take care of that ball. It's just about recognition for the wing backs to be very aware that as soon as they lose the ball, there is this key transition where you have to absolutely just find your man, sprint back into position. And then he could probably take those balls off his chest and go the other way. But that is, there's this key transition phase of recognition of, oh, we just lost the ball, you know, get connected with my back line. And I think Roma will have success with their wing backs if they can do that to deal with that severe strength in the wide spots. Yeah, the reason why probably I see Color of um, listed as one of the back three is maybe because Roma has had some injuries and trouble with. Uh, with their center backs, I remember Brian Cristante, who's a midfielder, playing in the middle of the of the back three because of uh, um, the the trouble that Fonseca had to deal with defensively. Uh, he's also an experienced player, so I wouldn't mind him uh, featuring there. But Alex, to answer your question, I will definitely play Karov just because of his uh, right. set pieces skills. They just can make a difference. His serving as well as his his strike on free kick, uh, as well as uh, he takes penalty kicks for Roma uh, when uh, when Veretout is not on. So definitely a key player. Another crossover match will be Inter against uh, Getafe. Inter will play with uh, uh, Conte's typical backline of three. Uh, we are expected to see all of Sanchez, Lukaku, and Martinez 
playing on top with Sanchez probably roaming underneath them. And uh, in Inter's back line, there should be Diego Godin. Alex, Godin is a player who, who knows how to play against uh, against Spanish team. Yeah, but it's a little different here. I mean, Scott knows a lot about this Hitafe side, but um, Hitafe is not that type of team that just wants to play. I think they're ranked one of the worst in terms of passes completed per 90. You know, they rely a lot on, on these long balls and sitting back and being a very physical team. Right, Scott? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, in fact, in the last Europa League match for uh, for Hitafe, they were serenaded by the Ajax fans with chance of, you know, you guys suck. <laughs> so um, they, they will try to initiate through defense. They have no intention of dominating through possession. They're going to make... Inter have the ball. They're going to force Inter to make mistakes, and they are going to take their chances. So, I mean, like Alex was saying, they, they rated last in La Liga in like passes and per ninety, pass completion percentage. Um, yeah, so they're going to play direct. Everything will be long. They, they have two guys up top in their four four two. In the midfield, they do like to play very narrow. And when you look at this side, they're narrow not only in defense but in attack too. So, you know, they're, they're going to try and hit the, the balls to the, the high forwards. Um, you know, at times, they, they make some nice decoy runs off of each other to open up some spaces. But everything will be in two to three channels. So to answer your question, Daniele, Godin will definitely be you know, aware of that with all his experience um, with Atletico. Um, but I don't think he'll be particularly concerned because the balls that will be coming up, he's very good in the air. So he should deal with that, have cover behind him. It's just going to be more of a, a dogfight, I think. This is a type of game that could be a, I don't know, pretty boring matchup for the, for the neutral if you're, I don't know, Chris, what you think about that. But, you know, it, I don't know. It could, I could be completely wrong. But I do see Inter just much superior in quality. But Hitafe, to be fair, they've caused some trouble this year in La Liga to the teams that have superior quality technically. I don't know. It could be interesting. And Alex Godin is also next to uh, two solid defenders. One is uh, Bastoni. The other one is Defray, who just won the Serie A Defender of the Year. Um, Steve, I wanted to ask you, what uh, should we expect the same kind of approach by, by Conte's team? Yeah, no, no different uh, to the way that they've played since the restart. They've been excellent um, in the in the little kind of window since uh, since Serie A began again. Um, they they'll they'll play into Lukaku's feet um, in, in their own kind of style directly uh, and, and use him as, as such a dangerous dangerous mo- focal point to, to bring other players into the game. I, I think, as Scott's saying there, you'll get the Getafe deeper so there won't be many transitional moments for them to break into where they are so dangerous when they've kind of picked off the opposition and, and counter forwards quickly. So, it's got saying that there's going to be less of those moments um, as Getafe drop off and, and let Inter have the ball. Then I think Inter find a way to pick them apart. They're, they're very dangerous in the wide areas when they can get their win backs high at the pitch. If, if Getafe are going to defend narrow, then Inter have got no problem going round an opposition. Inter, Inter Young on, on one side, who was excellent in the, in the last game against Atalanta, for example, scored a really good goal coming in from the, from the wide spaces. So... It may be it may be dull to the people expecting goals, but it sounds like a really interesting tactical battle this one, and 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 one that I'll certainly be tuning in for. So Scott, I'm I want, curious if I want to remind everybody that Hatafe only won 
one match in the during post COVID. So they yeah. kind of lost their mojo. They they were really going well, and um, you know I I just you know they got four or five ties, but you can't tie your way to a, to a win uh, in the end. So I, I feel that this is going to be one of those games where I might end up uh, uh, cleaning the kitchen and focusing on the uh, the previous game, <laughs> the Roma Sevilla game, uh, which I think is a coin toss. This game here, I, f- I feel that Inter is going to figure out it's going to be a street brawl of a game, and uh, I think Inter is going to figure out a way to to muscle it through. Um, I I like Lukaku's chances in a street brawl uh, because uh, in really tight spaces he can find a way to to get the ball in there. So I I think this one's going to be uh, kind of a two one three one uh, finish for me. Uh, so. That's yeah, I'd, I'm just opinion. I'm just looking looking at the kind of the inter inter stats since the since the restart. They played 13. They won eight of those 13 games. And I guess if you're, if you're likening Getafe to somebody in Serie A, you'd probably be looking at someone like a a Sampdoria maybe, or even a Torino, a team that are going to play kind of a little bit of a lower block and, and defend quite narrow. Well, Inter beat Torino three one. Um, they beat Sampdoria two one in in those type of in those type of games. So. Conte will not change a hell of a lot in, in terms of the way he does things, but he'll certainly use um, the ability to play round an opposition and then get runners going beyond the ball. I mean, without if if um, Daniele's saying that Sanchez is going to play and he roams around, then I think you'll find a lot more runners going beyond the ball than perhaps if Ericsson plays, where he likes to link up and, and join in with Lukaku. So it'll be interesting to see the dynamic there with Martinez and Lukaku kind of roaming around and, and, and getting beyond Lukaku um, and trying to cause problems to the, to the Getafe back four. So the thing with this Getafe team, even though they are very compact when they defend, uh, they're going to chase you all the way up the field. They will not mm. sit back. Uh, that's just not in their identity. Mm. So they will use those two forwards up top to try and funnel play to one wing or the other. But man, once they get you there, it, like get ready, like, put on your boxing gloves, it's time to brawl. Uh, these, these guys are coming after you. So I, as compact as they are, when, uh, especially when they're in the attacking half of the, even the middle third of the pitch, there's not necessarily that outlet to a guy like Lukaku. Um, but I think for Inter, this is where those, those wing backs really come in handy. So with Hitafe typically on one vertical half of the field, I mean, there, there's loads of space for that, that last Juventus player um, that we, or sorry, the, the last uh, interplayer uh, on the wings, or even in the far half space, to really progress the ball. So I think if if um, Inter, you know, if Conte can get aside to kind of play into the Hitafe press, um, get them in, in onto that just that one of the two wings, draw them in because they will overload. They are an ultra aggressive side. You can definitely play around them. So, Scott, let me understand better this Getafe team. So, if you're Inter, what you would do is you would kind of play the ball, uh, you know, with, with your back line to try to attract them because you're saying that they're moving up with a uh, compact block. And then what can make a difference is maybe uh, an unpredictable ball, first time hit over the top for fast strikers like Lautaro and, uh, and Sanchez. Is that what you're saying? I, I don't necessarily think over the top will work. Um, they are pretty conservative at the back line. Everything in front of the back line is ultra chaotic. Um, you know, for them, it's, it's structured chaos. We'll say that. Um, so all six of the, 
the midfielders and forwards will commit to the press. Um, and once they get you into the wings, uh, there's just very little space to progress there. And realistically, you don't necessarily have the time to pick out that high target or you're playing behind the line. Uh, if you do, they're, they're pretty well set to play the, uh, to defend there anyway. But I think with this Hitape team, since they're vertically compact, there are opportunities to progress on the, the far side of the pitch. So you play that switch into the wing backs. Uh, you should be able to pick up 20, 30 uh, yards at a time. And, you know, just gradually chip away, get them into that low block, you know, let Lukaku's uh, individual superior quality really have at this back line. But, yeah, Inter really has to prepare for this aggressive press. Uh, so that's, that's I, re- it's, really, it's really interesting. One of, the, one of the keys to Conte's kind of possessional moments, yeah, probably everywhere that he's been to this point, is, is something that I guess I'll term a up-back-and-through situation where they'll play beyond, beyond the line uh, into the feet of, say, Lukaku, who will set the ball to somebody underneath him. So you get the up and then the back and then the through pass um, with runners going beyond the ball. He uses it a lot to get beyond pressure um, or obviously attract pressure to take the balls to the weak side. So I think you can expect to, to see him use that a lot in this in this game as, as like you're talking about there, Scott, the, the pressure coming in, in large uh, quantities in certain areas of the pitch. I think if they use the wing back for example, ball into the wing-back's feet that's set back to a midfielder underneath and then the ball goes back into the next line in the up-back-and-through moment. I think you'll find if, if they can be successful with that and it sounds like they'll get a lot of a lot of joy against this Katafe team who, who want to kind of trap you in one area. Um, so I think it'll be an interesting one for the hipsters, Chris. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I want to repeat, they've, they've won one in the last 11 games. You know, you look at, at the, sports, the sports book and... Uh, you put down a hundred bucks, and if Hitafe wins, they get you get four hundred and twenty-five back. So, I think the sports betters are are with with uh, Inter on this one here, and I think Inter is going to figure out a way whether it's 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 muscling through the middle with with uh, uh, with Lukaku or speed on the flanks. They've they've got they've got a nice game. They got some good mojo. They finish super strong. You know they 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 got they got it going on. So. And I'm not slagging Hatafe. I mean, they've had an amazing season, right? If you look at their 50 some odd million euro payroll, they're the second, the second lowest uh, of what they paid per point behind Granada. So they've had an amazing season. But I just think that when you're going to go against a smoking hot Inter, it's it's going to be lights out. To finish off on this this matchup, I think what Steve says about this up back through play is crucial against a team like Hitafe, and even more with the third man runs. So up back through the third man running already knows it's happening once the the entry ball has been played to a Lukaku, and I think that third man run needs to be super aggressive because even if that ball you know doesn't really come off. It only needs to come off once or twice to score. But if it doesn't come off, I don't think Inter should be too worried about Hitafe picking that pass out and then being in possession because they're not that threatening in possession. They're more threatening maybe on a counter or a set piece, right, Scott? So I think it's fine. Go hard on the third-man run. And if they do pick it out, you know, you should continue to pin them back. That'll create more gaps in between the midfield and the defensive line of Hitafe. And then Inter can find more success in possession. But I think 
Inter is, is pretty well set to win this match. Yeah, I mean, especially if they they can be safe in possession, um, make sure that they have at least numerical equality, if not superiority in the buildup. They can deny that that opportunity for Atafe to uh, to attack with those six players rushing forward, because that's really where they get their goals. So they, they get that high to, to middle turnover or uh, recovery, and then now all of a sudden you have six players in that same part of the field running at your back line. Um, but I, I think if Inter can be wary of that in, in possession, especially in the buildup, and then utilize the wings, uh, you know, especially like you guys are saying, use that third man runner. Um, I think in the, the wide areas would probably be the easiest to connect. Um, this is a Hitafe team that sh should wither. Um, but that said, this is probably not the side you want to have one matchup against, you know, one game. It's, it's like having Atletico Madrid in the Champions League. That's the nightmare draw for every team because you never want to play that side with just two matches. Right. I'm not sure Sam would agree with you that Atletico Madrid is the same as, as Hitafe, but I, I, I take your point. So. Well, thank you guys for the insights. I'm uh, very excited that I will now be able to enjoy these games with a, a better educated soccer mind or football mind, wherever you are, uh, whichever way you call the game. Thank you, guys, and uh, please enjoy Europa League and Champions League, and uh, we'll see you next time. Arrivederci.